and 45 minutes drive from Manchester, you have Klopp, who seemingly just is acting like a crazy person. He doesn't look well. Like, he should be selling computers with Costanza's dad. Because <laughs> he, he just got out of the loony bin. Like, he's, he's still blaming Pep for everything. Like, like it's Pep's fault you're, you're this far behind. Then he talks about City's money and this and that. Take a look in the mirror. Your hair's crazy. You look a little crazy. You're talking crazy. On today's Footy Corner, Man City lose for the first time in 21 matches as LA has Pep's number. Liverpool somehow lose a sixth home match in a row as they've gone 115 shot attempts at home without a goal. Chelsea may be the best current team in the league. Sandstorm and Twist and Shout, Blair in London, and Andre Mariner sucks at his job. Along with the typical comments, predictions, nuts of the week, and gambling corner, next. Yeah. And we are back on the footy corner. I hope you're all doing well. Again, another solo episode. So it's just me. So how am I doing? Pretty well. It's getting warm outside. It's turning into spring. So that's exciting stuff. That's always uh, good stuff to be excited for. Uh, Moving on from from colder weather, it's, it's the days are longer in terms of daylight, I should say. Because some people define a longer day as maybe not a great thing. But but we're seeing some uh, some improvements on the vaccine front. You see places loosening guidelines, not so recklessly like Texas that was on the last episode. But, you know, most of them are being sensible. You're hearing sporting events starting to allow fans. And this comes uh, on the exact one-year anniversary of where everything sort of shut down. And this is, you know, being recorded here on the 11th. Uh, again, I'm hoping it is released tonight so you may hear it on the same day but even if you're listening to it on the 12th it, it still resonates the same so it's just a very interesting time and it's amazing how it has been one full year I'm not sure if a lot of us thought that would be the case but here we sit uh, resilient perhaps more patient than ever but I think that might be a good thing you know if there's a good thing that would have come out of it I'm not saying obviously a good thing happened. It's an it's an awful event, but there are are ways to go about it, and I feel like a majority uh, of people maybe have gained a little more compassion, a little more understanding. Of course, you always have the ones that are not that are ignorant, but you know that's just kind of my little mini soliloquy to get into some more nice, exciting stuff. We've had some great days of Champions League lately, leading into today. You know, again, we're we're mostly a Premier League podcast, but I think it's great to note here that the two English teams that have played their Champions League fixtures so far, the the second legs of them, I should say, have moved on. That would be Manchester City. They uh, they disposed of who was it? Uh, why am I blanking right now? Anyway, uh, they beat some German team. Or have they not beat them yet? Oh, dear. Here we go. We already know that I'm out of it. Sorry, they haven't. They have Borussia Mönchengladbach last week. I meant to say Liverpool have advanced. I know that. They beat Leipzig 2-0. So now that's 4-0 over two legs. So uh, Liverpool fans, you know, soak that in because it's it's not going to get nice later in the podcast, obviously. 
Chelsea and City have the upper legs, I should say. They haven't completely advanced yet, so I guess the Premier League has only had one team advance. But we have had some shockers. Porto and, and Juventus was a, a in, insane ending that I unfortunately didn't get to see live, but I know a lot of people did. And I got a bunch of messages, and I saw the highlights, and it was massive scenes. What an incredible end. Uh, Barcelona knocked out by PSG, but that was pretty much decided on the first leg. Again, I said Liverpool 4-0 over Leipzig and the two legs combined, looking great in Champions League. And Dortmund, with uh, an American on that side, with the victory over Sevilla to move to the next round. So those four teams that advanced, this is the first time since 04-05 that both Messi and Ronaldo have not advanced to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Again, it looks like Chelsea and Man City are in very good shape. Both teams heading into their home fixtures ahead. 1-0 for Chelsea and 2-0 for City. And again, Liverpool's moved on. So it looks like the, uh, England will have three teams in the next round. Today we also have some Europa League fixtures. Some what I'd call tasty fixtures, I guess. The one I'm talking about specifically is Manchester United and AC Milan. That one will be great. We're down to the final 16 in that competition. The other English teams playing are Arsenal against Olympiacos. Their chance for revenge from getting knocked out in the 90-plus minute last year against this very same Olympiacos team at home. And Tottenham plays a Dinamo Zagreb team that they should be able to handle. So really cool stuff across the board. Teams in action, which again will affect... Their Premier League form, which will affect, you'll see, the rotation that they had, and it affects who they played in their matches these past weeks. So really great stuff. Again, that's picking up. we got Champions League, Europa League. You know, you've heard the excitement from previous guests about, you know, all that being back. And then you add in, for those college basketball watchers, March Madness, the selection shows this weekend, and it's going to be awesome. Because this was an event that got canceled last year, and... Yeah, that was rough. That's one of my favorite events because it's just crazy stuff's happening all the time. You throw in the gambling aspect of it this year, and it will be scenes. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, and, you know, you're heading to stretch runs of other sports. Those that watch the NBA, those that watch hockey are kind of heading into the second halves of their shortened season. So this is really a, an exciting time for sports. Personally, I'm heading into spring break in a couple days. It's going to be a rough next two days but after that there's a light there is time to finally rest before the rest of the storm hits it's like the eye of a hurricane but it's a much much desired eye that i'll be able to focus on other things that um i haven't been able to do too much of or contribute as much as i've wanted to such as uh, wedding planning that you know still is on the teeters and brinks with all this uh, everything going on so it's tough. It's a tough time, but we're getting through it. We're seeing the light, and that light shines bright. So let's go straight to the Premier League. After that, again, those that want to uh, comment, mention anything, you could reach us at the footy corner, too. Would love to hear your thoughts about anything that's mentioned or anything that's asked about. So let's go to the first match that you got to cover this one. we got to talk about this one. Massive. Man City had won 20 straight games across all competitions. I'm not even talking about drawing. I mean win. They hadn't been behind in a match since playing Tottenham on November 21st. They take the field at home against their, their rivals in the derby, Manchester United. 
it only took 35 seconds for a penalty to be given. And I want to mention this. First of all, it was the right call. Okay, it was the right call. Uh, It was a clear penalty. No question. I think Martial was taken down. Now, here's the one thing I'm wondering. He was taken down by Gabriel Jesus. Now, stop me right there if you have heard this story of a forward causing a penalty on another forward in their own box. Gabriel Jesus following in the footsteps of Danny Ings from a few weeks ago as the sirens go off in the background. I don't know if you hear the microphone. But that's, yeah, that's the warning. You can't have forwards doing that. And in this case, too, it was completely unacceptable. Gabriel Jesus had six, what it looked like was six other Man City players around him. So Anthony Martial was not going to cause issues. So again, here you go. The sirens are saying it. That's a sign. There were too many defenders there to let to, to even cause that kind of a penalty that early in the match. It was like one on six. So that, you know, I always wondered why. Again, you... It's a conundrum because you want to give credit to forwards for coming back and defending, but sometimes, you know, there's a reason they're not a defender. There's a reason that he shouldn't be way far back there. Especially in this case, even versus the Danny Ings case where he had many defenders with him. You know, so I noticed that, so that that put him, you know, City behind early. Bruno converting the penalty. Shaw scored another goal later. The final in this one was 2-0, Manchester United. It took City about 15 minutes to wake up and really grow into this match. Uh, but even then, even when they sort of grew into it, I think Manchester United, they they countered so well. And their passing was so sharp. They had guys just slaloming through the midfield, through City's defense. And it's crazy. Here's what I'm noticing on this pod. If I come out and either name the podcast title after you, or if I rip on your team, there's a good chance they're going to show up next match. Just to make me look really stupid. Man United, just the latest example of a team that last week uh, we talked about. Jerem was pretty excited about them. So shout out Jerem. And, and he mentioned good things about them. But, you know, I, I had the uh, kind of, I, I was able to see their match against Palace and, and analyze it after discussing with him. Which he didn't have to uh, talk about much in his interview because it was happening while we were doing it. And they looked bad. But here they come out against this kind of team. And Jerem mentioned it too. It was very puzzling to them how they had played in a bunch of 0 zeros because last year they played really well against the big teams. Well, they showed up this time. You know, Luke Shaw looked like prime Roberto Carlos in this match. He washed Cancelo on one of his runs. He was marauding through the front, just causing issues. Daniel James was causing issues. Bruno Fernandes was just pinging passes left and right, and he finally showed up in a big game. It was due to happen. And you see what happens when he does show up in a big game. How well Manchester United plays. So I'm going to have to give a shout out to Manchester United for playing so well. Not looking like zebras. That might be the key. The key might be not putting on these stupid zebra uniforms. So big credit to Manchester United. Playing really well with their, their guys there. And, and I, I, you know, I was very nervous for them when I saw Lindelof back there with Maguire. But... Man, they look good. The outside backs looked very solid in defense. And again, it was very fluid between the forwards. Manchester City on the other end. Well, one more thing. One more thing. I want to give a shout-out to Olay. I almost forgot. Olay 
let's put it this way. Pep has faced 67 managers more than three times. And Ole is one of them. Only Ole, yes, our boy, has more wins than losses against Pep Guardiola. He has four wins versus those three losses. So incredible stuff from Ole. Incredible stuff from United. And here we go. I saw, I said good things about them. Just cue a meltdown next match. That's, that's the best way, if you are a betting person... If you hear me talk well about a team, you bet against them next pot, next match. If I speak bad against them in a podcast, you bet for them in their next match. Now, that might not apply to European fixtures. I'm talking about next Premier League fixtures. So that was really, in the sense, it, it, it didn't affect the title race. So, so let's look big picture right now. And it's pretty obvious that that match, while exciting for United fans, while a great win, and I'm not going to say, hey, they shouldn't have done it, because obviously they should have, because they're still the top four to play for. But it didn't move the needle on winning the title. What it did do is put them in second place, kept them in second place, I could, sh- I should say, because the teams below them all won. So they needed to keep that one-point lead over Leicester. They needed to keep that four-point lead over Chelsea, who sits in fourth. And most importantly, the fifth-place team, which is just out of Champions League, surprising right now, being West Ham. It's a six-point gap as we head into the final ten games of the season, although West Ham does have a match in hand. So we're getting close to crunch time, so that's why it was a big win for United. It's not to sit here. You can't sit here and say, well, it doesn't matter because they they weren't going to win the title anyway. Well, they still have stuff to play for, aside from their competitions. On the side of City's part... I don't think this loss really matters. You're going to lose at some point, right? It does hurt to lose a derby, and we're going to find out here shortly the thoughts of maybe a Manchester City fan as that match happened or how it affected them if it did. But City came back midweek, and I'll say this. uh, City did miss a couple good chances at the end against United. I think Sterling had a really decent tap-in chance in the 78th minute, but... You know, United was always going to hold. Stones and Cancelo had rough games. And then you saw them rotated for Southampton. City comes back later in the week, wins 5-2 over Southampton on Wednesday to regain a 14-point lead. Granted, yes, they've played one more match than United, but it would take a massive meltdown from City for anyone to catch them. So they said 14 points atop the league. They had in that match, I should mention real quick, 5-2 win over Southampton, as I said. Two goals from De Bruyne, two from Mahrez, one from Ilkay Gundogan. What does that do? That goal from Ilkay Gundogan was his 10th league goal of 2021, and that makes him only the fourth player with 10-plus goals across the top five leagues. Can you name the other three? This is when I'd ask my co-host only. Start thinking about it, and I'll just start naming them while you are thinking about it. That should have given you a good 10 seconds right there. The leader of that pack is Lewandowski with 14. Second is Messi with 12, and Andre Silva is third with 10, tied with Gundogan. So Lewandowski, Messi, Andre Silva, not bad company to have. Uh, on Southampton's end, just real quick, Ward Prowse scored on a pen, and Che Adams added one too. Just uh, that one was too little, too late. It's really funny, though, because you know I won't talk too much about Southampton's other match of the week, but those are the exact same two guys that scored earlier over the weekend and in the exact same way. That's pretty wild. But anyway, um, you know, again, not really a huge deal for City. I think, in my opinion, their focus needs to be on the Champions League. They need to focus on trying to win the Champions League. I think the league's in the bag. They could always talk about a quadruple, but I think that 
that one that evades them, the one that allows people to make memes about them. Champions League, that's what you got to go for. So to better understand Manchester City's season and what we think they should do, it's everyone's, one of everyone's, well, it's everyone's favorite Canadian panel member that will be on in a couple weeks as we do a panel episode, but I want to get a chance to interview him one-on-one rather than us catch the troll aspect of them in the panel, which should be really interesting this next time. But let's go to City fan Jeff Paris to see his thoughts. All right, and back on the show with us, a uh, panel member, top lad, uh, I'd say the pot stirrer of the panel itself, our favorite Canadian, Jeff Paris. Jeff, how's everything going over there? Do I really stir the pot up? Is that what I'm accused of? <laughs> well, I think I, it's a good I thing. I ask the tough questions. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, you need that because uh, if you don't have someone asking the tough questions and mixing mixing it, you don't get anything good out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so how's everything going for you up there? Uh, not bad. Bored as usual. <laughs> Bo- bored from uh, stuff in life or just running away with the league? Uh, no, uh, stuff in life. Everything's still closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stores opened up uh, with limited capacity last week. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's about it. How, how are the vaccine rollouts going there? Uh, slower than expected, but mm-hmm. I think that was expected because we don't make our own vaccine. Uh, so it was slow at the beginning, but then all of a sudden we just got dumped with a huge amount of vaccine. So it seems like everything's uh, back up and running again. Okay, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it does, so you can uh, you can get out. I know you. Well, you can still take your artistic pictures and photos, and you can still hit up your spots, right? You're still doing that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the soccer. I know a lot of people are very interested in your takes on uh, obviously Man City in the Premier League this season. I'm going to start out with a sore subject, then we'll get into the more fun stuff. Uh, for the first time in 21 games, uh, City falls this one to Manchester United, but they're so far ahead in the race. You guys are going to win the title. My question to you is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how like upset really were you with 10 being really angry? How really upset were you losing that match to United? But it is a, a rival, so I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was about a 7. But okay. uh, I, I think it really speaks to just what a small club Manchester United have become. Like this is They don't care about any, anything else anymore. They care about, did we beat City or we Wow, what a great season! What a great season we we had, uh, and that used to be City against uh, back in the days when City were winning. That was that was it for them. Did we beat United? And that was their make or break season. So they're the small club now, and we're the big club. And we didn't play well. I, I think just the start just sent us down the wrong path, um, and the penalty merchant came up and got his goal and. That's about it. <laughs> I will agree. Was it, it? It seemed like you guys did have a slow start, and it did uh, doom you a little bit. They were able to play a little more comfortable. I think Cancelo got worked a little more than than usual than, than yeah. he usually would on that side. But hey, I think you know when you win that many games in a row, you might be due for some sort of slip. Let's talk about the season in general, though. Um, as I said, it's obvious you guys are going to run away with the title after you had your one year hiatus last year. Is what we'll call that. What at this point, as a Man City fan, would you define as a successful season? Uh, if you win the Premier League, that to me, that's the most important thing. That's your bread and butter. You win the league, and then everything after that is gravy. I don't put as much value in the 
Champions League as other people do. Um, one red card can send a team down. The, it's a tournament. It, it's like it's it, the league is is your bread again. The league is your bread and butter. Champions League becomes very important if you win the league and you win the Champions League. That's that's the crown crowning glory. Like I, I really like the year Chelsea won. They finished fourth mm-hmm. in the league. Were right. they the best team in Europe? Clearly not. But they were the best team in that. Like last year, were were sorry. Uh, the other year uh, when Spurs made uh, the final, were they the second mm-hmm. best team in Europe? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> nobody's <laughs> nobody's going to say never. <laughs> It's it takes one red card, a few injuries, and it, like like City could get a red card uh, in the next round, which completely scuttles everything, and yeah. like cool. or just a bad call or something like that. But but to follow up on it, so I do agree that the league is the the model of consistency, as you'd say, and it just takes like you said a red card or even just an injury to a really good player over the course of two legs being out to to screw that over. But as a Man City fan, and you know. There are certain things, and it's not much, but there are certain things people can rib you about now, and that evasive Champions League title is that. Does that add oh, I to wanna, it at all? Yeah, I want to win the Champions League so uh, people like Steve Fox will shut the fuck up. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I cannot wait. The panel, uh, just a heads up, I believe the panel will be in two weeks. There's an international break coming up. I cannot wait for the panel. I miss the panel. Um, I, you know, there's, we were having some group chats this morning for those listening and, uh, it, it was, it was going off today. So I added one of Steve's questions at the end for you to answer. Um, and that international break is going to be so weird because there's just soccer on all the time, like yeah. weekday week. <laughs> I have watched more sports in the past six months than I ever will in my life. Right. Like, yeah. It's because you're stuck at home. It's mm-hmm. always on. I'm watching championship. I'm watching uh, the Farmers German League. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're it's making up for those months right when it started that we missed every sport. As you're saying, you know, I actually always have my uh, on my other laptop right here. So this this computer I'm using, this is where I kind of do like the teaching, and I have my little teaching station here. But I have my little monitor to the side that I always have like a sports game on, and that's going to even start here right after this interview, which we're yes. doing in the morning. Yeah, there, there are games of all sorts of sports starting soon. And I, I you know, I've got uh, some college basketball. I've got the Europa League that's coming on. It's I've got a little uh, channel guide here while I do work. I completely agree with you. It's, it's been crazy. So it'll it'll be weird. So then we'll we'll fill that time with some debate. We'll, we'll make it interesting for ourselves. Now, a question I have for you in terms of the city team specifically, you know, a lot of players have stepped up this season. Uh, especially if you look at the absence of Sergio Aguero, he really hasn't even factored in at all this year. Kevin De Bruyne, you'd argue, has had minimal impact because he's just been injured for so long. I, I would say, is there one player that you can name? Now, it's tough because I think a lot of players have stepped up. I've mentioned in the pod, I think Pep has done one of his better jobs this season of of really elevating certain players. But can you name one that's doing better than you even expected uh, going into the si- season that's been integral to City's run? People, I, I'm sure most people say Gundogan, but I'm going to say uh, Diaz. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm going to admit, when we got him, I knew he was a good player. I just didn't know how good. I think he is going to be a staple in the Premier League, and people are going to be talking about him for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what Pep does really well, and especially with guys like Foden and stuff like that, 
he just when they're not getting started every single game or like they're starting every other game somehow he keeps them on track they don't start saying oh i want to leave i want to leave like that would have been a mistake for uh Fodden to leave uh, to get loaned out somewhere um you're working for pep you're on uh, arguably one of the best teams in the world just stay the course wait your turn and things things will come uh, and I think he has guys like that now, like Torres, I think is a fantastic player. He didn't do too well yesterday, but I think he's a fantastic player. And he's going to be one of those guys that he just keeps waiting in the wings uh, to just come out. And, and especially this happen. It's so important this year with like the insane schedule. Yeah. But I, Cancelo, Cancelo is another guy. Like that guy came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What position does he even play? Nobody even knows. He's just, <laughs> he's just everywhere. He's literally the right side of the pitch. He just travels up and down and and, yeah. and, and makes things happen. Yeah I, yeah, I do agree that that is a good model. I think what they've done with Phil Foden is great because it shows future players, like you said, like Torres, who might be the one that makes that even bigger leap next year, that, hey, you know, if you stick this out, there will there may be injuries here. There might have to be a player that goes here. There, there are players that are aging on the team that you'll fill in and then we just, it's, it's another cog in the machine that, that keeps working. So yeah, I, you know, my choice was good again, as you would have known, but that's because I shit on, I used to shit on all the time, but I do like that option. Diaz is a young center back and young center backs, especially are new to the league, take a long time to adapt. So that, I think that was a great yeah. show. We were didn't take long at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we, so yeah. we weren't expecting that at all. We were, and he made, he made John stones into a superstar. <laughs> yeah. We were people talking about Nathan right. people, at the beginning of the year. People thought John stones was finished. Yep. Mm-hmm. There were rumors of him going to even Arsenal at one point. So, um, yeah, we were talking about Nathan Ake this year. I don't think anyone remembers that you guys even have him anymore. If you remember yeah. in the first episode, <laughs> so and he's another he's he's another guy in the wheel. Like if people get hurt, Ake can come in, and Ake's a very functional player. Yeah, absolutely. And and so this team has you know so few holes. My next question might be really tough to answer. If there is even a way for this team to improve next season, let's say this Champions League trophy happens to evade them again. What is the way? Because that, that tends to give motivation to maybe, you know, keep re- restocking, keep reloading. Is there one place that this team can can improve? And if so, where would that be for next season? I think the big question is what happens to Aguero uh, when they sign Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so they're signing him. I, I think so. I honestly but, think so. Are they signing both Grealish and Holland? So that's what I've got for your transfer window so far, according to Jeff. I honestly think I honestly think they're cooling on Messi a bit. Uh, <laughs> I honestly think that. No, I honestly think they are. After like, that strike right last now, night. Right now, I would. Right now, I would. Yeah, and then he missed the pen. But like, that's and, and that's not a knock against Messi. <laughs> like, he, he would give two years. Uh, for, for he'd be on City for two years and then he'd go to Miami or something like that. Holland on the other on the other hand, like that's that's a generational like you're talking he could be he could be there as long as Aguero has been. Mm-hmm. I think the big problem is what are we gonna do with Aguero? Uh, he deserves all the respects the respect that he he deserves, but like things are just working out so well without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pep's, Pep's been playing pretty well without even a nine. Even, you know, Jesus has played decent. We'll talk about him in a second. But when you guys didn't have a nine, you guys were 
killing it going back and forth. You had, that's because I think Goodigan runs in the box quite a bit, runs runs in there pretty well. But yeah, if you guys get Erling Holland, I, he is he is something special, man. I saw some stats that he has scored Champions League goals quicker than than Messi, Ronaldo, you know, all these players. So it'll be interesting to see how well he keeps it up because he's got a bigger build. He's not really like one of those smaller guys. So. Yeah. It's really a question of I don't think he'll be he's like a he's like a Lukaku, uh-huh. but like just like I think just a little bit a lot more skill. Yeah, and, and, and saying something because Lukaku is one of the best players in Europe right now. Right, absolutely. So I don't think he'll be physically inclined. It's just a question of you know with certain amounts of running and carrying that weight, how will he be able to figure that out? But hey, I mean it, it's good so far. We'll see, and yeah. and yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens in that direction with the striker. That's what leads me to the next question. It was perfect. You kind of segued into it. And Steve, I just wanted to mention this because uh, this is what you and Steve were going back and forth about. And I want to bring it up on the pod to see what maybe other people at the footy corner to think about this. So Steve said this. This is quote Steve. With the hate you throw at Firmino, what's your take on Gabriel Jesus? Do you honestly think he's good or worthwhile to start? And he wants to note Firmino has more goal involvements. Six goals, five assists in 27 games to Jesus's six goals, three assists in 20 games. So I'll let you comment. Jesus is just a far better player than Firmino, and the stats back it up. He's played less games and essentially has done the same thing. Um, and Jesus comes in at the, sometimes in mid-game. He'll come in or he, he gets taken out early because there's so much, so, so much they can replace him with. Um, but yeah, like he's a he's a functional. He's not the best, but he's a functional player. He'll get he'll get his goals, and he's the kind of player that he's been hurt so much this year that he'll get better and better as as the time goes on, as the players learn to get him the ball. Uh, but yeah, he he would start on any other team. Okay, is he <laughs> is he a starter? Are here for me? You know, starters on now. They're both going to be considered starters on winners of Premier League winning teams. But do you think they are the ideal? starting strikers on a on a Premier League winning team? For me, no, I'm, I'm totally confused about it. I, I just don't understand what he does. Like, um, and this admiration that he gets. Uh-huh. Like, I really don't. I never have. Uh, and when you talk to Liverpool supporters, they're like, we're like, he doesn't get a lot of assists. He doesn't get a lot of goals. So what does he do? And they, and they start talking in this magical way. Well, it's the things that you, that you don't see that he, that like the spaces he creates and this and that. no, you're not getting assists. You're not getting goals. Get off the field. Go, go to go to go to Colorado. Go 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 play in the MLS. Like maybe it'll work out for you there. <laughs> but like like it's 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 a huge I, I this mass delusion that people have. And I'm not going to knock Salah. I'm not going to knock uh, Manny. Firmino just isn't capable. Like he, he like he can't finish. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've started, I think, to play Diego Jota up there. I know that's rotation, but, I mean, that might be the start of something, or you, you might see that's the position they improve in. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I had never really thought of comparing the two, but um, I think we can we can cover it a little more. I'll let you guys debate this more in the panel episode. Uh, but, you know, before we, uh, we end this, are there any comments, questions for me, or just, I guess, comments in general that you would like to let the people know because, you know, during the panel, we're kind of, we have questions, we answer, we stick to some sort of a, a structure and you can obviously talk as much as you want, but this is your platform at this moment, Jeff, to let people know whatever you want them to know, any takes you have, any questions. I just think uh, after years of, of uh, Pep being called the bald fraud, <laughs> um, 
uh, I think we were finally seeing uh, who the actual fraud manager is in the EPL, and he's about a uh, 45-minute drive from Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the way, the way Pep has managed his players, managed their time, um, and I said it at the beginning of the season, he is holding back. Like, just, this is going to be a long season. We can't, you cannot do that super open attacking football all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't panic at the beginning of the season. He stuck, he stuck to his system. And uh, now it's, it, they're 14 points ahead. Uh, and, it's, and it's clearly worked. And 45 minutes drive from Manchester, you have Klopp, who seemingly just is acting like a crazy person. He doesn't look well. Like he should be selling computers with Costanza's dad, because <laughs> he just oh got out. Because like, he just got out of the loony bin. Like he's, he's still blaming Pep for everything. Like like it's Pep's fault. You're you're this far behind. Then he talks about City's money and this and that. Take a look in the mirror. Your hair's crazy. You look a little crazy. You're talking crazy. Like the guy needs a vacation or something. Like just like I don't know. Maybe take a year off and then become coach of Germany. Like, I, I, I don't know. That is being talked about a little bit. I, I think he dismissed it, but you're right. In the future, that is something he does want to do. And, and, and maybe, yeah, with everything that's been going on, he might need some yeah. sort of break, like you said, because that team, it's, a, it's been a tough situation for them. But going to the Pep, I do agree. I don't know if you me- uh, heard me mention a couple weeks ago that I think this might be his best job as a manager out of all of his seasons. Um, just for the reasons I mentioned about how you mentioned this team two, three years ago, like the, the one of the lineups I, I showed during a, a pod and I thought, you know, this lineup, would you have thought they would be winning the league by so much? So do you agree that this has been Pep's best season? Oh uh, yeah. I think it's clear. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a very interesting take. I'm very excited now. A good preview for the panel episode. Uh, are you, you're good in two weeks for the panel then? I'm going to destroy the panel. So now you can see why I call you the pot stirrer. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, Jeff, thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on. It's always good having you. Uh, appreciate you being flexible at this time. And um, yeah, we'll see you again here in two weeks. Perfect. All right. All right. See you. As always, some awesome stuff from Jeff Paris. So I want to thank him for taking the time out of schedule to come on. Always good to get different perspectives. And of course, we see the back and forth on the panel, but it was nice to ask a few questions about Manchester City and see what the pulse uh, of some of their fans are regarding their season and what they see as success. Because, you know, as you've noticed in some of these other interviews we've done, we've now lately spoken to uh, Phil, West Ham fan, Jeremy, a Manchester United fan, and now Manchester City fan, and Jeff to see kind of the different expectations and how they change over the course of the season. I think that's always a lot of fun. So we've talked a lot about both Manchester teams this episode. Let's now go travel to London and let's take a look at what I would consider now to be the hottest team in the Premier League. That is a hot take, but yeah, this team hasn't lost in 11. So now they move to the top of the power rankings. Chelsea, 2-0 win over Everton. Uh, Godfrey getting the own goal in the 31st minute, followed by Jorginho Penn in the 65th. I'll cover that own goal in a little bit. Really wasn't much of an own goal in the fact that it kind of was an unlucky deflection off of him that was caused by a lot of other great stuff. Timo Werner did start this game up front, and Havertz was out wide uh, on the left. But unfortunately for Brian, 
Timo Werner does not score in this match. And so, yeah, his bet's on the brink, but I'm sure he would switch off how Chelsea are playing for his bet. And I'm sure, actually, I'll ask you, Brian, uh, maybe we'll have you on next week to co-host, or if you want, at the footy corner, too, as you always know, what would you rather have? Would you rather win the, the Havertz, or not the Havertz bet, the Werner bet, and take your shot of Malort, or sorry, would you rather win the bet and not have Chelsea make top four, or lose the bet, take your shot of Malort, and have Chelsea finish in the top four in a Champions League spot? Very interesting question. I would take the shot for Arsenal to finish top four, even though that will absolutely not happen. But I will say in this match, we talk about Havertz being moved out wide, even though Werner didn't score, again doing the, the good stuff, but I think Havertz had one of his best games as a Chelsea player, if not his best game. The opening goal could have been his, but really all that coming from Callum Hudson-Odoi with the beautiful turn off that pass from Zuma. He found Alonso, who found Havertz, who kind of deflected it somewhat towards the goal, and that hit Godfrey and went in. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to mention, before I get into Havertz a little more, Callum Hudson-Odoi, that is the kind of response you want to see from a young player that you happen to bench after subbing on a few weeks ago, I think that's the kind of way to go about things. And I, and, uh, and as we've discussed, Tuchel has talked to Hudson Adoy, and they've sorted that out. And man, he is red hot. But Kai Havertz, going back to him, kind of scoring that goal, or you know, really causing that goal to happen. He pretty much set the second goal up with the pen that he drew, uh, in which he made a run uh, through and was found taken down by Jordan Pickford. And Jorginho finished the penalty. You know, again, I thought Chelsea really played some fluid stuff. I think they keep getting better. You know, you look at this win, and this may have been their best win. Not necessarily by who they played, but just by performance. And their performance just gets more and more impressive. We talked about how they've unlocked the back five and how that's working. Which now makes you really wonder, were the pieces always in place? Is Frank Lampard that bad of a manager? Or is Thomas Tuchel that good of a manager? Again, I thought this was Chelsea's best performance, but now they've built that resume. They've beaten Liverpool. They did draw United. They beat Atletico Madrid. Their last four matches are these results. So to simply chalk it up to Tuchel winning matches against easy teams, now you can kind of throw that out and say, yeah, this team is quite legit. They're they're either the first or second best team in terms of how they're playing right now. And... I almost would cement them, even though they're really close to being on the border, they're barely in fourth, I like their chances of finishing top four. Pretty high. I would give them a high percentage. I'd go as far as saying probably above 70% chance in my book. You know, and that lines up. 538 has updated their odds. Chelsea's a 72% pick right there. City's 100 or over 99, I should say. United is 90, Chelsea 72, Leicester 55. West Ham 29, Liverpool 20, if we want to go that route. Tottenham 23, wow. And then the rest are insignificant, at least in my books, in that they won't catch the other teams. So, again, it really makes you wonder what would have happened had this change been made earlier. Man, it's it's unbelievable what Tuchel has done. The only negative that you may have for Thomas Tuchel would be that he has not started Christian Pulisic, but that's more of a personal American kind of thing. Should the American fans be worried? You know, there have been rumors that Pulisic might go elsewhere. Again, really not heavily Chelsea's issue, 
more of a U.S. national team problem. But only Maurizio Sarri, which was 12 games in 2018-19 with Chelsea, and Frank Clark, who did over 11 games with 94-95 Tottenham, have only two managers, those named, have begun their Premier League managerial careers with a longer unbeaten run than Tuchel's nine. Again, Sarri had 12 in 18-19 with Chelsea, and Frank Clark had 11 in 94-95 with Nottingham Forest. So Tuchel has a couple games to reach Clark and three to reach just Sarri from two years ago. So we'll see what happens. He has six wins and three draws in those nine matches that I mentioned. Not too much to really talk about with Everton. I think we've covered them quite a bit decently in the last couple weeks. Really, again, the thing I take out of this, impressive stuff from Chelsea. And I'm telling you right now, they might be the best team in the Premier League right now uh, as it stands. And it'll be interesting to see when they play Manchester City on May 8th. Might not mean too much, but they do have a stretch to end the season at City, Arsenal, and Leicester before they play Villa away. So uh, Chelsea going to what I call a stretch of games outside the Champions League that are very manageable until they kind of hit that little stretch run at the end. It'll be interesting to see how they do. Again, very confident in that side. We'll learn more when we talk to Brian next week. Let's go to another London team that had a very good week. Tottenham 4, Crystal Palace 1. Bale and Kane each getting a brace uh, somewhere in there. Benteke did score in the 45-plus one minute. Coming into this game, Spurs had not lost to Palace at home in 23 years. Well, that continued, and we had Sandstorm City. You know, I, I'm noticing with a lot of these games, as I said before, you can just hear the, the goal songs. You know what they are because there's no crowd. Uh, I will say this, though. Gareth Bale was scintillating again. You know, and it, to the point where people were asking, hey, is this guy going to get another year on loan? Because his his deal, his contract is it's a tough sell because he's getting paid so much. And, uh, I mean, it might have to be that they sell him on a free just to get rid of his wages at Real Madrid. But, man, he was active, and he is that piece. You know, we've always talked about outside of Son and Kane, if Tottenham had that one other guy that can rover around and... and and uh, open spaces, and that's what he did in this match. And, and you know, not seeing Deli Ali there, you know, you kind of maybe took some pause because you saw Lucas was there over Deli Ali, but he was a dynamo as well. Mister Father Time himself did an absolute madness. He was causing issues. He set up goals. He had chances early in the match, and I think by putting Bale in this midfield. Whether you put him with Lucas or I, or Deli Ali, Jose Mourinho's found something. But what really, you know, what you wonder is why did it take this long for him to find it? Why did it take so long for him to play a guy that everyone knows that at his top form is a really good player, maybe top 20 in the world, you know, and it took this long. There was that sense, though, because Tottenham had so many chances early in the match Bale did score in the 25th, but that Benteke goal I mentioned late, late, late in the first half, that was an equalizer. And at halftime, I'm sure many Spurs fans had that here-we-go-again moment, which got squashed quick as Bale scored four minutes after the halftime break and Kane followed that up seven minutes after the halftime break with goals. So Tottenham really put it away after the half. That third goal Kane scored was absolute top shelf. It was a cracker. Might have been one of the best goals of the season. 
Harry Kane is the first Spurs player to score two-plus goals and provide two-plus assists in the Premier League match since Jurgen Klinsmann. In May of 1998, he had four goals and two assists against Wimbledon. Uh, you know, so Tottenham rolling. Uh, Wilfried Zaha was back for this game for Crystal Palace. Just something to note. He did come on. He did hit the post later in the match. But again, nothing really brewing for Crystal Palace. Tottenham, again, I, I want to give him credit. Good work from uh, Tottenham. You know, I hate to say it, and I really don't like seeing it with them coming into the match against Arsenal this weekend, but they've really unlocked something big there. So we'll see more on what happens there. Let's go to the North London neighbors, my boys, the Gunners, in a very disappointing 1-1 draw with Burnley, especially after Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang opened up the scoring in the sixth minute. Arsenal should have really been up 3-0 after 30 minutes. Saka had a prime chance that he put wide of the post. And really, after they missed those chances, it went totally downhill. Chris Wood scoring a goal in the 39th minute, and it was an absolute disaster. For those that have seen it, Arsenal trying to play out of the back. Burn Leno giving a pass to Shaka, who was just about at the penalty spot, with his back to the field. He tries to go cross cross field or to the you know to his left, to the outside back, and the ball deflects off Wood's body goes in. The dude was shrugging like, oh, how did I score that goal? Absolute disaster. Granite Shaka has made more errors leading to goals, which are eight than any other outfield player in the Premier League. But I'm not putting this goal on him. Yes, it was his ball that hit the defender, but his back is to the field. He might be coming and calling for the ball, but he did have someone square on his back and his passing lane to the left was taken. And Burn Leno, who can see the whole field, Instead of just booting the damn ball, because, you know, when you play from the back, I get it. There has to be a commitment to work the ball from the back. But if you're in danger of giving up a goal, or if no one is open, just boot it and live another, I would say, set of downs if it were football, but live another play, live another few minutes. It's okay. It's a 90-minute match. You're the better team. You're playing Burnley. You've created all these chances. So I was really upset with that error. But again, at that point, you say, ah, Arsenal are dominating this game. It's Burnley. They should be able to win it. They should be able to take care of business. They came out lackadaisical in the second half. Even so, Nicola Pepe had a great chance, scuffed it. Danny Ceballos banged it off the post. Let's throw that out the window. The refing in this match was a shit show. The ref in this match should be absolutely ashamed of the moronic work that was done in this match. Andre Mariner not only cannot tell the difference between people, he's a clown. And I'll tell you why he's a big clown. Those of you that have seen it, there's a play that Pepe gets the ball on the right wing in the box. He brings it into the box. He kicks it trying to cross the ball. It does hit the chest. He motions for a handball. That one, by the way, folks, clearly was not a handball. But as he's motioning it, he realizes the ball bounces back to him, so he tries to make a dribble to go around Eric Peters, and he he would have, but Eric Peters' hand was out like a fucking zombie, and the ball hits his hand. The ball, the hand is away from the body. The hand prevents progress towards the goal. Apparently, VAR looked at it. Andre Mariner never went to a screen. How on earth is that not a penalty? 
I, again, I get it. Arsenal should have finished other chances, but that was one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in my entire life. In that, not only was it stupid not to call it, but it did go against the laws of the game. It was a penalty. It's horseshit. And, and you know, minutes later, apparently Eric Peters, folks, Eric Peters apparently registered as a second goalie for Burnley this game. In the 84th minute, I can't remember who took the shot. It's kind of irrelevant at this moment. Arsenal had a shot at the goal, was clearly going in. Eric Peters lunges himself at it. His arm is completely out. I get this part, folks. Everyone says, oh, it hit his shoulder. It hit his shoulder. But let me show you the optics. Let me give you a picture. Let me paint something for you here. I would understand if it was a fastball deflection and it kind of just hits his shoulder. But he lunged across the goal, sticking his arm out. If you look at where his arm is, I get it. If it hits his shoulder and his arm's by his body, fine. He sticks his arm out, extends it, and to me it hits, it hits his arm, the top of his arm. We need an anatomy lesson here. The other thing I ask people that say, oh, that hit his shoulder, how would you feel if that was on the other side of the pitch? And he scored that way. Let's say someone crossed it and he lunged in with one arm out like a fucking Superman doll. That would have two arms. He'd have one, hits his shoulder and goes in. Arm completely out. Are you going to let that, you really would feel good about that standing? Just think about that. Absolute trash bin refing. Disaster. Again, as I said, Arsenal fluffed some good chances, deserved to win this match. And to make matters worse... Those that saw the match, it was a mad scramble in the last minute to try to score after two penalties are denied, after Pepe misses a sitter, Danny Ceballos, as I said, bangs one off the post, like 94th minute, and then I get a text from my wife. My car was towed. And I thought she was joking because the timing of it, after all that had happened in the past 10 minutes, I was like, clearly, you know, maybe she was like getting an update on the game, was watching it somewhere, and just, nope, got towed. So my morning, which started at 6... 30 when this stupid fucking game started. I had to wake up early to see it. At 8.20, when it ended, when I could maybe wind down and get coffee, turned into going to where a car was towed, which, by the way, there were two lots closer than where it was towed. Had to drive halfway to where I go to school to pick it up. So, yeah, that was a, that's my little <laughs> rant. It was a really, it was a big shit show. Really trash stuff. Um, in the end, though, I'll say this about Arsenal. There's still a side that plays good stuff. It's just really weird how little moments, little decisions just go against them. It's just been so weird. And I get that happens to every team. But you can't deny that that, like, go look at that the highlights. The goal they gave up. The missed penalty. Unbelievable stuff. Even the one that was called a penalty and then went to VAR and got called back. Unreal. So, yeah, there's that one. Let's give it now to another London team who played a Northwestern team that is really struggling. Liverpool 0, Fulham 1. I did not think it's possible for Liverpool to lose 6 in a row at home. It's happened. Mohamed Salah was a little lackadaisical in allowing Mar- uh, Mario Lamina to take the ball off him and score in the 45th minute. 
that became the only goal in the match. Again, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad at Salah in general because he seems to be one of the few players there manufacturing any offense really. But again, that was a play that he has to be a little more secure with at the edge of his own box. Loses the ball, Fulham score. I, I do want to say this because we've talked a lot. We've exhausted our talks about Liverpool. But I do want to bring up this, that they play a high line. And when you play a high line with a lot of different defensive combinations, I believe, what was that number? It's 16, 17 different, maybe 20 different defensive combinations. Someone can tell me. At the footy corner, too, we got a bunch of Liverpool fans. They can tell me. When you play a high line, you really have to be in tune and in sync for those that have played the game. And I'm watching this, and I notice that that's how Liverpool's getting beat a lot on the counter. Whereas in the past, they were, they were able to stop the counter from really happening. But yeah, with all the injuries and the rotating, you're going to have issues with the back line. Specifically, even looking at this match with Fulham, it was really a makeshift back line, knowing that they had the match with Leipzig coming up. You look at that back line, you know, you had Robertson, uh, which was the only known commodity or one that plays all the time. Then Reese Williams and Nat Phillips were the center backs, and Nico Williams was the right back. So you didn't even have Ozan Kabak in this match, who was missing. Matip missing. Van Dijk obviously hurt. Gomez missing, injured. You know, all these guys hurt. And rotating made it very difficult. I get that. So, um, again, the back line's really rotating. That's what caused them to get caught. That's what really caused Fulham to have a couple really good chances. I will say, though, Liverpool attacked quite well in the second half. Ariola made a really big save on Diego Jota early in the second that I believe was a big factor in Fulham holding on. So I, here's what I want to say. I want to focus. I know Liverpool's had some issues, and I'll come to them in a second. I want to focus on Fulham. Their run of form has been incredible. They have come from the doldrums of the Premier League. They are now tied with Brighton on points. Well, it says that they're 18th in the table. They're tied with Brighton on points at 26 points. Sure, they've played one more match. Sure, they played one more match than Newcastle, but they're only one point behind Newcastle. They're four points behind Burnley. I mean, at this, I'm telling you right now, Fulham will not get relegated at this rate. They're playing really good stuff. Brighton and Newcastle need to look out. Again, my shot, my choice is Newcastle. I've said it for a long time, and I'll say it again. They're in big trouble unless they get Callum Wilson back real soon. Fulham is making a run. Watch for Fulham. Absolutely incredible stuff from them. They're, I mean, so I want to make sure that we give the credit to them that's deserved. Because you could sit here and, and say, oh man, you know, rough stuff for, for Liverpool, this, that, and the other. But it's important to note, full. Now, about Liverpool, crazy season. Their first 14 matches, I want to give credit to Steve for this stat. Their first 14 Premier League matches this season, nine wins. Four draws and a loss. They had 31 points in their first 14 games, plus 17 goal difference. The last 14 games, only three wins, three draws, eight defeats. 12 points in 14 matches, minus six goal difference. Unbelievable. I, you know, I can't really describe what's going on aside from that, especially the offense. The defense you kind of get, but even that hasn't been awful. The offense, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's crazy. It, it might just be a form of a, of really bad luck here or a run of really bad luck. Why? Let me explain to you. 
Liverpool have now failed to score in their last 115 shots, including pen, er, sorry, excluding pens, after they had 16 attempts in this match versus Fulham. For, so for some reason, either goalies are showing up or the ball just isn't going in. And one more damning stat. Uh, Liverpool have now lost uh, or winless in their last eight home matches. That's six losses and two draws. Only having a longer run at Anfield, which was 10 games from October of 1951 to March of 1952. So let's see if they could turn it around. I mean, the chances of top four are really dwindling. It's under 50% now. Maybe they just have to focus on the Champions League. Nothing wrong with that. All right, so... Let's see how they do uh, there. Just a couple other teams I want to cover that are in this top four race that are making noise. One team that is in it still is Leicester winning 2-1 against Brighton. Brighton did open up the scoring. Adam Lallana scoring in the 10th minute. But Leicester are resilient. Iannaccio and Amarty scoring in the second half. Leicester really needed this. A lot of questions have arisen out of late, especially on this podcast, but I'm not saying I'm the end-all be-all. A lot of people questioning Brendan Rodgers and his ability to lead a team to finish the season strong. Always starting strong, never finishing strong. Here you go, though. They sit in third at 53 points. So, you know, they have three-point lead on Chelsea. West Ham is lurking by. They had to win this. All those teams won. And so they dug deep and found a winner. I will say this, though. Leicester's unbeaten away from home since December, so a lot of their problems start at home, and a lot of their problems in this match started by not having their foot on the gas early. They really started getting going after they got scored on, but even after that, it was really back and forth. Really exciting match, actually, if you got to see it. I also noticed they had a lad named Tavares. They've had so many injuries, this young lad named Tavares, and the only reason I know it's he blasted one just outside the box and almost scored... It was sometime, I believe, late in the first half that he almost had that goal. So I want to give a shout-out to, and he was wearing, um, what was he? He was wearing number 50, if I recall. I'm going to look up his name. Sidney Tavares. I'm shocked he's not on Wolves. He's Portuguese. 19-year-old, had a great game. But again, a lot of back and forth. Mape had a goal called back for offsides. So really... Brighton could have won this game quite a few times. I believe Adam Lallana had a header that hit off the post later uh, for Leicester on their goal. Tielemans made a beautiful no-look pass to Iannaccio. It was nasty. But the winner came off a blunder by the goalie Sanchez off corner kick. So you might call Leicester a little lucky. I mean, they needed it this match. They won it. You might say they got a little lucky because to me, it's another match that Brighton Looked great in, I mean, I feel like we've said this every episode. Brighton's looked really good in a lot of matches. And actually, if you take their expected points in the league, I just saw this stat today, courtesy of Eric Chima in a group, so shout out to him if he listens. Brighton, are on, on, on the chances, I guess, back and forth, would be expected to be in fifth place. But they sit in 17th. They might be the best 17th place team we've ever seen. It's just unbelievable the amount of times that they just hit the post, that they barely miss a goal. And so, um, yeah, I mean, tough tough for them. They really, I don't think they'll get relegated. And to me, they'll be one of those teams that if they stay up next year, they might make noise if they can make a couple of the right moves. But yeah, Leicester getting the big win, an important win for Leicester. Brighton, matches coming down the stretch that they have to show up and they have to get results in. Another team that kept up with the group, 
that just continues to do it. West Ham United. They have been a hell of a story. Their only loss, really, if you look at their past many matches, their only loss in the league since the beginning of February was to Manchester City. And that wasn't that bad of a match. It was close. Before that, it was Liverpool. Before that, you have to go to 2020. So West Ham really playing well. I want to say this. West Ham have never played in Champions League. They have never played in Champions League. So that would be a hell of a story. Two players that scored for them here have done it for bigger clubs, have played in the Champions League. Lingard with a pen. Actually, the pen got stopped. He followed it up and scored. Dawson scoring in the 28th. And that pretty much did it for Leeds. I mean, they had chances here and there, but Leeds has, has had a lot of trouble against London teams. I believe I saw a stat the other day that they've lost uh, something along the lines of 14 of 15 of their past matches in London, or 13 of 14. Lingard has scored his fourth goal in six games since his loan. I cannot believe how well that loan has worked. I cannot believe that he's done that. I mean, no one saw this coming. Lingard was even getting made fun of. But Lingardinho is back for West Ham. He is in he is incredible form. It is insane what this addition has done for the side. They've been red hot. And now here's the best part about it. West Ham is the first team to announce tickets for next season. I wonder why. Hmm? You might as well strike while the irons are hot, and the pun is intended there, right? Get the fans. They're they're so excited. They're so happy, especially if you look at the 180 from where they stood at the beginning of the season in terms of how excited they were. There was none. And here we go. I saw another couple goals at a home venue, another home song. Twist and Shout is the West Ham goal song. Heard it in succession a couple times. Here's another interesting thing. West Ham got the win. We're all excited for them here. It's been all happy news here on the on the front from the podcast. Here's where their captain, here's where Declan Rice, their leader, young leader, very good player, said this after the match. Speaking honestly, I'm disappointed with the performance. So Declan Rice didn't feel... That they did, they that West Ham was at their best in the 2-0 win over Leeds, but they're learning to win ugly. Another stat I want to bring up: that with 11 matches to play, West Ham's 48 points is more than eight of their last 10 full seasons in the Premier League. They have again 11 matches left. They're four points from their second best performance, which was just three years ago in 1819. Or sorry, that was two years ago, I should say. And 62 points, that's 14 points off of that 15-16 season that Phil talked about. So if they get 14 points in their last 11 games, they would match their best run over the past 10 years. It, it Just incredible stuff. You really, I mean, if you haven't seen them, you really got to watch them. Piece of news that I know Arine would love to hear. Mark Noble has signed a new one-year contract, but it was announced next year would finally be his last season. Okay. So they give that contract as a quote-unquote reward for how he's reacted at the lack of playing time. They're just going to bring him on for one more year, I believe, to just kind of be a voice, step in. Uh, but yeah, his time, as we know how Arine likes to comment on it, <laughs> finally, finally coming to an end. The guy's been playing forever. 
Uh, let's just round out some of the other action in the week. We had Southampton 0, Sheffield 2. Ward-Prowse scoring a pen and Shea Adams with the other goal in that match. We did mention, if you recall, we did mention that uh, these same two players did score for Southampton in their match against City. And it's pretty crazy because they scored in the exact same manner. And then we had a pair of nil-nil draws. So if they don't give me a goal, I got nothing to say about them. Villa nil, Wolves nil, West Brom nil, Newcastle nil. So nothing fun there. Don't give a damn. Nothing happened. Why should I announce anything? Or why should I even try to analyze it? The best part was I didn't watch any of those games. So that was nice. All right, let's get to some of the comments. Steve, I wanted to address this because Steve did mention right after our episode came out that he completely disagrees regarding the VAR explanation. I don't hear as many complaints about VAR taking up as much time as no one knows what a foul handball offside is anymore. People at home see what the refs see and still hate VAR. It's the confusion, not time. So here's what I'll say. I'm not sure. So I saw something in the A-League ever since I spoke about this that I liked. That the refs were actually mic'd up so that you can hear them talking while it's going on. So by hearing that, you can actually maybe tell what's happening. Now, I think if you want the ref to explain things, I don't want it to happen right there and then. Uh, I want them to be able to talk about it after the match in a post-conference presser. Again, I just I just feel like the flow of the game is ruined already. They're going to come out and talk more. I know it doesn't take more than 10, 15 seconds, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's another route to go. It's just something needs to be done. The stadium at least needs video for the fans at the game. But here's the here's the thing. A lot of times you'll hear what a ref was thinking after the match, and it will still infuriate you. So I don't think there's really any way to win or any way to come out clear of this. You know, uh, you have situations like Lee Mason, who was confused as shit when he blew that whistle 600 times, and the goal got called back in that Brighton match a few weeks ago. So even if Lee Mason was trying to explain himself, that's why I try to say let's have post-conference pressers because in the moment, the rest might have a thousand things going through their minds and when they go to explain it, maybe it doesn't come out you know, quite the way they meant to say it and then people will get even more pissed. Again, think about what happened with Lee Mason. That was an unmitigated, absolute disaster. It was ridiculous. Uh, I will say, I also read something. This is, it's very interesting this comes up right after we talked about it and right after Steve commented about it. It's a good kind of transition for me to discuss what I read that came out, I'd say about two, three days ago, that the FA is willing to enter talks about potentially broadcasting referee audio in an attempt to quote-unquote demystify the game according to reports. Now, the current rules, where you might say, why don't they do that now? Why did the A-League do it? Current rules prevent broadcasters from relaying decision-making of officials to fans and viewers, yet recordings could be made available after the match. Contentious VAR calls and questionable officiating performances have only served to confuse and distance some supporters from the game. I'd say that's very true. The FA Chief Executive Mark Bullingham believes post-match audio files could bring value to to supporters. Now, again, you might say, well, what about the um, A-League doing what they did? In order for uh, 
audio files to be made available post-match. I'll get to that first. An agreement has to be made with the PGMOL. We talked about this. Professional Game Match Officials Limited. That they'd have to allow this to get out. But, in terms of broadcasting real-time, IFAB plays a role. I mean, there's so many fucking organizations. International Football Association Board has to make the decision to allow that. FIFA has to make the decision to allow that. And that topic is being raised, and I think it's only a matter of time that we might get in-game audio. I don't see why we shouldn't. I think it would help everyone. So again, uh, if you want to look back, there is an A-League situation where this happened. They got a lot of plaudits. It was a match between the Western Sydney Warriors and and Melbourne City where there was real audio from the refs live, and they talked it through. The right decision was made, and it was really nice. It was refreshing. Speaking of IFAB, let's talk a little more about these rules. They are changing that handball law. I talked about how they were going to meet. They did. They changed it. Accidental handball that leads to a teammate scoring a goal or having a goal-scoring opportunity will no longer be considered an offense. So basically that goal Fulham scored against Tottenham, was it last week or two weeks ago, should have counted or would count under the rules starting in July. So they've gone through the process, and this literally came out days, like no, sorry, not days, hours after we talked about it. A little more insight from Rob Harris New from the meeting of football's lawmakers, IFAB, accidental handball that leads to a teammate scoring a goal or having goal-scoring opportunity will no longer be considered an offense. I'm reading it exactly from here. So they've made those changes. There will be a handball if a player deliberately touches the ball with their hand, moving their arm towards the ball, touches the ball with their hand or arm when it's made their body unnaturally bigger, <coughs> Burnley, Eric Peters. So that kind of stuff. Um, Anyway, that's really the main part of the handball rule that changed. I just want to take a chance to call out again uh, the refs that fucked up our game. Let's look at uh, a question that came in from Steve. I actually really like it. Steve asks, who would you have a... Who would you have to take a penalty to save your life? Your life is on the line. It's Bruno or Jorginho. And I'm going to tell I'll answer right now. I'm taking Bruno Fernandez. Why? Well, Bruno's 38 of 41. Jorginho's 28 of 32. So first of all, the percentages work in Bruno's favor. Just watching them take pens, they do it the same way, but I feel like Bruno has a little more power in that if the goalie guesses the right direction, which you saw... Actually, Ederson guessed the right direction. But Bruno was still able to slot it away. Whereas Jorginho, when you saw someone like Bern Leno guess his direction earlier in the season, it was an easy save. It wasn't that hard. He didn't he didn't kick it in the corner. So I would take Bruno Fernandez. Adding to that, Bruno has only missed one Premier League pen this season. And it was against Newcastle. And that, that is significant because Jorginho has missed two this season, and who were they against? Arsenal and Liverpool. You can argue, right, that those are high-level matches, high-pressure situations. So if my life is on the line, and it's a high-pressure situation, I think Bruno comes through in the high-pressure situation. He just scored against Man City. He might miss if nothing was on the line. Newcastle, psh, 
I mean, I am worried that it was on my birthday, but not that I care or like him, you know, or anything. But if that's a sign, then, well, who knows? I would take Bruno. Very curious to know what you guys think at the footy corner, too. I will have this posted again. I have information on the intern. I'll share it later. I will have the intern posted. The intern's not fired yet. I know you haven't seen scores. The intern's not fired yet. And I'll talk about that when we get to the scores. I take Bruno. There's going to be a poll up about it. Let us know what you think, Bruno or Jorginho. Now, there is a clip that Steve posted on Erlen Holland where they asked, where do you think he will go? Obviously, we talked a little bit about it in the pod. I think if he moves to the Premier League, that would be awesome. Not sure if it'll happen. That would be awesome. But uh, some guy, one of a pundit, Akeen uh, Ajuko, said that he doesn't want Erlen Holland to go to a European library that has no European titles. He says Manchester City are not a heavyweight. Very interested to hear Jeff's take on it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'd like to see what he says. I know Steve, who sent that, um, <laughs> did say, where is the lie? Uh, you know, in, in that text that, you know, that's a, um, switches between uppercase and lowercase letters, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Very interesting stuff there. In terms of Erling Holland, he might go to a team because it was cited, oh, City hasn't won European title in over 30 years, never won the Champions League. But wouldn't that be a challenge that Holland might want? Wouldn't he be the one that wants to win that for them? I think he has a lot of big options, a lot of interesting choices to make. And I think uh, there are there are teams that are that would be looking for his services. They talk about City, United, Liverpool, and Chelsea. Honestly, I think all but Chelsea, and even Chelsea to an extent wouldn't mind having a top striker, but I think all of them would really really benefit from having him. Maybe Chelsea the least because they have so much firepower up front, but I mean, I think he's so good anyone at this point would be a foolish for not considering it. Let's just move to some other little tidbits here. Darren Fletcher, some of you might remember the player. Darren Fletcher has been named the first ever technical director for Manchester United. And I heard that news, and I was like, wait a minute. Didn't this dude just stop playing a couple years ago? Uh, He did, but he's been on their staff apparently the last couple years. So he'll be their first ever technical director. You know, he says it'll strengthen their football operations. He's been part of the setup uh, at their first team coaching since the start of last year. So it's been a little over a year. And really what his role is going to be, it's going to be to kind of talk between Olay and the board. And if there's a team that does need that, it does seem to be Manchester United with the transfer fiascos, to say the least, that they've had in the last many years. So I think that that's a good move. Let's see what happens because you do need that bit of communication. And I think other people still have a lot of say. You know, it's a guy that knows the culture of the club. So it's it's an interesting appointment, and I'm hoping for them you know, for their fans, obviously, I don't want teams to be better than Arsenal, but for their own hopes that he uh, he's a good communicator. And I think that that might be the case. We'll have to see. This was an interesting tidbit that came out a couple days ago. The president of Namibia, no joke, the president, his name is Haji G. Uh, Gaingab. I apologize for the, the pronunciation. The current president of Namibia is the latest to weigh in on the terrible form at Liverpool right now. He's not happy. 
So he is, he is a Liverpool fan. The current president of Namibia believes the team is dying. He tweeted, we, we the supporters of Liverpool have been walking alone for a while now. Sadly, we are becoming orphans because our team is dying. That is, that is interesting. I don't think I've ever seen the pre- president of a whole country come out and talk about a, a soccer team like that. I wish uh, I wish it was a press conference and we could see it. That's bananas. Uh, EPL, big news in the EPL for those that follow, which is all of us. They are keen on delaying the start to the 21-22 season because of how late the season goes, because of how compact it was, and that Champions League, or sorry, uh, the Euros will be this summer. So they just want to move it back. It's supposed to start the weekend of August 7th. Shout out my wedding weekend. So I'd be okay with them moving it back because I'll probably miss the game if it starts that weekend, Arsenal, unless they play on the 7th and not the 8th, which is my wedding day. Said they're going to try to move it back to the 14th so players can have one month off between when they come back from European Championships and Olympics. So we'll see how that how that goes. I think it's likely it'll happen. I don't see why the Premier League wouldn't do it. It would line up the start of the Premier League with the Championship and other European leagues. What's the point of starting one week earlier? There really is none. Start on August 14th. You were able to run a com- more compact version of that this season. Run it on the 14th. Run it till as you know, long as you have to go. Because there is a World Cup in 2022, but it's in December. So again, you know, we'll have to see. And finally, Steve sent a TV clip of a... Or a TV clip. A clip of a TV falling on some lad's head in ESPN Columbia. Wow, we hope he's okay. That looked bananas. It was unreal. We'll have the intern retweet that too. That was it was scary, but knowing he's okay, now you can kind of laugh a little bit. I feel like. So yeah, that was interesting. Uh, now let's go to our other segments. Mount Rushmore. We're not going to have that obviously because it's just me, and I'm not going to Mount Rushmore myself. Although finally, those results with Steve, they're fully in. I mentioned last week there were still hours to go. It did end up 60-40. Uh, I had, again, Saka, Pulisic, Foden, Reese, James. He had Alexander-Arnold, Eze, Bergwijn, and Ferran Torres. I mentioned this last episode, but again, there were still hours for votes to come in. Looks like there were no extras. So that was that was settled as it was. Uh, so let's go to the results first before we go into this week's nonce. The results of nonce of the week, 100% of the vote was for Greg Abbott for opening Texas up. We didn't have any for Bartomeu, any for Gordon Elliott, none for Greg McDermott, all for Greg Abbott for opening the state of Texas up. And if that's any indication of where this vote will go, I might have an idea of what is coming up. So now let's go to this week's Nonce of the Week. You are a nonce, fella. You're a nonce, mate. And we have a very interesting start to it. <laughs> Neymar. We mentioned it before, but it's officially that time of year. I mentioned that it was going to happen because of his hip injury. I I did air quotes, but he is still out with that. His sister's birthday is today, March 11th, or yesterday if you're listening on Friday, 1996. This is the seventh time in eight seasons that Neymar has missed a match that clashes with his sister's birthday. And for those that have followed them on Instagram or whatever, uh, you follow Neymar on, maybe. They are a bit noncy together. They look a bit close. That's all I have to say. I guess that's more incest than nonce, but yeah. Neymar out again with hip injury. It didn't matter for, for PSG because they disposed of Barcelona. 
but just interesting. Seven seasons out of eight? Hmm. Neymar. So there's that one. Then we have Myers Leonard of the Heat, who in a uh, Twitch, I guess, a live game feed, I'm not I'm not as good at these as, as others are, he used an anti-Semitic slur during a video game live stream. Um, he used uh, the K-word um, in reference to a Jewish person and claimed he did not know that was a slur. So he called a, a, a player that. He said, fucking cowards, don't fucking snipe me. You fucking blank, blank. Um, it's interesting how I blanked out not the F word. <laughs> but yeah, that... that surfaced on social media, it came out, uh, he, he apologized, the heat, con- first of all, the heat condemned the use of it big time, obviously, and then Leonard apologized in an Instagram post just on Tuesday evening, saying he's deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream, while I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance about its history and how offensive it is to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse, and I was just wrong, I'm now more aware of its meaning. Well, okay, let me, you know what, really, first of all, you know, you like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to be honest with you, this is going to sound wild, I did not know what that word meant. Actually, I had never heard the word. It was blanked out in every transcript I read, so I had to go to Urban Dictionary and just put offensive K-word for Jewish people. I did not know what it meant. So for you to even know the word exists... And then use it in the context where you're insulting someone and saying you didn't know it was a slur is the most bananas bullshit I've ever heard. If you use it as an insult in a game, surely you know how it's derogatory. I don't think he was ignorant in any sense. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. It really is. And, and right now I believe the Heat have, have kind of not really suspended him, but kind of giving him time away from the team. So we'll see how this how this plays out. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets canceled. And you might say, "Oh, you're being sensitive, you're being this, you're being that." You can't you can't go off saying that and then and then lie about it. He definitely lied. There's no way. How how have you not Again, I didn't know what that word was. So, yeah, Myers Leonard. Oh, that you know, he might win it just for that reason for me. We also have the Texas Rangers. So the state of Texas strikes again. Why do I say the Texas Rangers? We're hearing across the Major League Baseball that teams are starting to open up some limited capacity. And that's okay with me. I get that. That's good. It's an outdoor stadium. Texas Rangers, in their ass-backwards way, are officially opening Globe Life Field, their stadium, to the fans for the 2021 season. That's okay. Stadium will be at 100% capacity for the home opener. And then it'll be at reduced capacity with social distancing pots. So what they're saying is we're going to have a coronavirus fest for the home opener. And then we're going to do the distance pots. You know, the, the home opener is, is, a, is such a special day that we want everyone that comes here to die. So the Texas Rangers absolutely, it's the state of Texas is just, sometimes it's better to be stupid. Because then you don't know how stupid other people are. So that's my take on the Texas Rangers. And finally, lastly, this is questionable, but I have Galatasaray just as a club. Um, So they have a player many of you have heard of, Yunus Belhanda. You know about him. 
Galatasaray have sacked him, or, or released him in essence. Why? Because in a post-match conference, he criticized the state of the pitch. So after his side fell to a 2-2 draw against the 10-man Sivaspur on Sunday, it was their chance to go top league. So obviously you have to think he's a little frustrated. He was on BN Sport, and he was quoted on the team's official page saying, of course the pitch conditions had an effect on our game. The Calatasaray directors need to find a solution. They know we like to play football and play a passing game. They need to solve this. Instead of posing for photographs on Instagram and ranting on Twitter, perhaps they should sort out the pitch. I have never seen a team terminate a contract so fast. Again, maybe if one of your best players is telling you you need to fix the pitch, maybe you need to fix the pitch. So I'm going to put Galatasaray up there. I get it. Some will admire that they took the no-nonsense bullshit. But, yeah, I think just fix the damn pitch, man. So, again, it's Neymar for nonsense about during his sister's birthday for the seventh time in eight seasons. Myers Leonard for claiming he was... It, didn't know what he was doing and using a slur. Texas Rangers for going to 100% capacity for a home opener and then distancing. So, again, having COVID-19 Fest 2021. And then Galatasaray for sacking Eunice Belhanda after he complained about the state of the pitch. My early nomination? Myers Leonard. And you know why. But the Texas Rangers aren't far behind. So let's go to now the Week 28 predictions. And these matches, I'll, I'll, we'll cover the ones that go through Monday. I do realize next week only has four matches before we hit the international break. So, But there will be an episode in between, and what we'll do is we'll pick those four matches, and they'll still go into the Week 28 predictions. But I'm saving those predictions because a lot can happen between now and then with injuries and this and that and the other. So again, when... And, and, and so the intern has an updated scores. I, I did say I'd mention that now, right? The intern has an updated scores... And you'd think I'd fire them, but why is the reason they haven't updated? I have tasked the intern with helping me with my annual review that's due Friday before my spring break. So I said, hey, intern, if you help me with this, I will help you over this break. Let's get these scores sorted so that people know what they're doing for the stretch run. So I promise you guys, one week from today, you'll have scores at least. At least one week from today. Because I will be working with the intern the intern has disheveled hair, has been sleeping with his mouth open, very busy, tired. I get that. Back at work. All right, so let's make this week's predictions again through games that go through Monday. They start Friday, Newcastle and Aston Villa at St. James's Park. I got Newcastle nil, Aston Villa 2. Ollie Watkins has to score at some point. He has to score at some point. I keep picking him. He doesn't score. Leeds host Chelsea on Saturday in the early morning match. I got Leeds nil, Chelsea 3. Timo Werner's got to score, right? I mean, I keep saying that. For Brian's sake, Palace hosts West Brom. I got Palace 1, West Brom 0. Eberreche Eze, my boy. Everton hosts Burnley 3-1. Toffees is my opinion there. Richarlison has been on fire. He's going to score again. Fulham, who's been pretty good, uh, hosts Manchester City. I don't think being good is going to serve him up here. I got Fulham nil, City 2. Gabriel Jesus with a goal in this one. Southampton hosts Brighton in a derby. I've got 1-1 draw, Neil Maupe. Leicester hosting Sheffield United. Leicester 2, Sheffield nil. Jamie Vardy has to score at some point. He's been quiet for a long time. Let's go now to the North London Derby. So these last three matches, I think two of them are prime time matches. Arsenal and Tottenham. I'm going to do what I did with the Leicester match a few weeks ago. And if you want to ask, what was that? Well, 
I picked a draw here in the predictions, and we'll talk about the other part of that was in a second. I got Arsenal one, Tottenham one, and I still I can't bring myself to saying Harry Kane will score, even though I think he's the most likely. I got Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. United and West Ham could be tricky. West Ham's good. David Moyes returns to Old Trafford. I got United two of the Manchester variety and United of the West Ham variety also two. Mikel Antonio is my goal scorer. Should be back and forth. I think it'll be a great game. Wolves and Liverpool play on Monday night. Wolves just haven't been good for me this season. And Liverpool after Liverpool aren't at home where they lost six in a row, so I think they'll win 2-1. Mohamed Salah, my goal scorer. So now going to the gambling corner. And uh, again, those results will be in from the intern soon. Just to kind of wrap this episode up here pretty quick. I know we're running a little longer than we normally do for a solo episode. I've got a parlay for you. I'm putting five, basically out of my $10, I'm putting five on two sets that have plus. So if I win one of them, I win money overall. I've got this parlay. Man City at Fulham is minus 295. I'm parlaying them with Everton at home against Burnley at minus 120. That parlay, and I might do this in real life, is a plus 147. City at Fulham, Everton v. Burnley at home. Plus 147. Again, this probably will be a real-life bet. Same amount of money, too. $5 to win 733. And then, just as I did last time with Arsenal and Leicester, I picked a draw in my predictions, but in the gambling corner, I took Arsenal, and I'll do that again. I'll take Arsenal at plus 160. $5 wins me $8. As I said, I did it with the Leicester game, and it worked. So, folks, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the matches. This is really the last set of big matches. Like I said, we have four more next weekend and then an international break. You could breathe a little bit, and by that time, you might miss soccer again. But while that happens, enjoy the NCAA tournament. We'll have Selection Sunday. Enjoy this European soccer. And uh, let's turn it over now, with that all said, to the... A guy that is... Are they involved in European soccer? I don't know. I think they're in Europa League. Is Una Emery's team in Europa League? See, this is where it would help to have a co-host. Because then I could ask it and they'd be on it. Let's see. He manages, uh, what, Villarreal? Yeah, he's managing right now. The game just started. Against Dinamo Kiev. Best of luck, because I, I think it would be amazing if Arsenal against Unai Emery happened. That would be a great storyline. So, to uh, Unai Emery at Dinamo Kiev today, best of luck. Turning it over to you, buddy, Unai Emery. Good evening, Alexa. Please, to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening, 